Well, good morning and welcome to Crosspoint. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, today we get the opportunity to celebrate with some Crosspointers who, who are going public with their faith in Christ through the step of baptism. We love to have sun chasers come in for baptisms because baptisms are a family affair. Baptism is an outward picture of what has been happening inwardly in a person's life. Baptism doesn't save. Jesus alone is who saves and we are saved through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. But what baptism does is it gives us a picture of someone being joined to the Lord in relationship and as a result, joined to the Lord's people in relationship, the family of God. Baptism is a picture of the good news of Jesus, that in Christ we have died to sin in our old way of life. It has been buried under the water, ultimately under the blood of Christ, and we've been raised to life a new life, a new creation, a new purpose and mission in this world, a new hope that is both here in this life and a living hope that is in, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of uh, death, even into eternity. Our faith is in the Son of God who died for us and was raised to life. So baptisms are a significant moment for the family of God. They remind us that the Lord is actively at work in and through the family of God. That the Lord is actively drawing people to Himself, saving people, rescuing, redeeming people. They also remind us of our own stories. That when somebody stands up to give testimony and somebody gets baptized, we as believers in this room go, yeah, that's me. That was my story. Uh, my story is I've been buried and I've been raised to life. They remind us of the new life that we have been given as well. And today we get to celebrate with, with uh, what, what you see today is disciple-making. What you see is a mom baptizing a daughter. What you see is a, is a shepherd and a pastor baptizing a woman of God. What you see is a, is a boss baptizing an employee or a friend baptizing a friend, a brother in Christ now baptizing another brother in Christ. And we love that picture because that's the picture the Scripture gives us. The preacher doesn't have to baptize disciple-makers baptizing those who are coming to faith in Christ. And so we love that picture here in the living room. So Lonnie, you're up first. Lonnie and Andrea, you want to come out? Let me hold it. Okay. Can we turn to it? Here. You're fine. You know where it's at. You go there. I'll hold this. You hold that. You got it? So you're not terrified. When I was a little girl, my siblings and I would go to church, go to a church that my grandpa used to work at, and my mom wouldn't, wouldn't my mom would stay home because she didn't like the way they never explained to us how God could do miracles in our lives. And when we moved, well, when we switched to this church, I thought it was going to be the same. But my sister and I would get in a lot of trouble because we would talk and talk and talk. And my mom would tell her and I that we were being a yeah, distraction, and she didn't like it. A few months ago, I started thinking about what I learned that morning during service. And the connection card booklets helped because I, I would mark off that I wanted to get baptized, and after weeks and weeks of checking off baptism, I had a meeting with 
preacher John about it, and he kind of just explained to me how I wasn't ready yet. So a few more weeks later, we had another meeting, but this time with preacher Dave. He also, in a way, said that I wasn't ready, but I was almost there. <laughs> Finally, two or three <laughs> weeks later, I had another meeting, but this time with preacher Eric. <laughs> and <laughs> And as soon as he asked me why I wanted to get baptized, I told him because I wanted to make my relationship with God public and I wanted to commit my life to Christ, telling people about him and reading my Bible just to learn more about him. All that, I, all that without letting the fear of what other people think about me get in the way. People are not my thing, so <laughs> it's amazing what you'll do for your kids. <laughs> as Lonnie has told everyone, I was raised in church, so it was really hard <laughs> when I started coming here. Um, I would do like a dine and dash. I would come in for the service and run out the door, <laughs> um, and it amazes me that people that you meet through your trials and you don't know that you're going to meet them later and how much they're going to really affect your life. God is healing something that I never thought could be healed. And I cannot even tell you how many blessings I have seen just in the last two years. I'm thankful for a church that we can grow in and that where we feel so loved. I have never felt this loved in my life. I have a couple Bible verses. Colossians 2.6. God's been waiting on me so he can grow me. Ephesians 34, 11 through 16 says that God has searched for me even though my past sin and he has promised to secure me from my future sins because we're never going to stop sinning.
So I just, I just want you to think about something for a moment. About seven years ago, I was high in your apartment. And... And that, that Andrea is dead. It's dead. So, we're going to dunk you. But before we dunk you, do you treasure Christ above all things? Do you commit to following him with everything you have, no matter what it costs you? All right. Plug your nose so you don't inhale water. Andrea, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hi, everyone. I'm Dave, in case you didn't know. Uh, one of Cody's little minions that runs around the shop. So, <laughs> till recently, you know, I didn't have God in my life. I didn't know who God was. I didn't have direction. I didn't have meaning. I thought it was a church who decided if and when anyone was ready to be baptized. It wasn't until just this Wednesday sat down and I had a meeting with Pastor Eric over there. And uh, we talked, what seemed like minutes was actually hours. I mean, we spent probably over three hours talking. And I had my son with me, David. That's David the fourth over there with my wife. You know, and uh, we talked. I had so many questions. And Eric tried his best to answer them the best he could. Um, you know, it was just the way I grew up. Both of my parents were raised Catholic, um, but neither of them continued that faith in their adult age. You know, they didn't, it wasn't something that was taught to me or my sister. You know, if we wanted to learn about religion, we had to talk to our grandparents. We went to church with my dad's mother, who was a very strong Catholic woman but only went on the major holidays. So it was always Easter and Christmas. That's what I knew what church was. You go on Easter and Christmas, got dressed up, and you know, got the candy, got to see everybody. My parents were never very close, never showed a whole lot of affection and compassion towards one another or to anybody else. And then after the end of my freshman year of high school, my parents got divorced. And then at that time, I got my first job. And it was kind of rough on me. At that time, I learned how to grow up very fast and very cold and indifferent to the world. You know, I believed in myself and only myself. You know, my mom worked third shift at the time at the Paradise, doing everything she can to support me and my sister and make sure the bills were paid. My dad remarried very quickly and moved out of state, had very little contact with him. 
I didn't want my mom to have me as a burden. So through the rest of high school, I carried a full-time job. I put myself through technical school out in Indianapolis to learn how to be an automotive technician and a diesel mechanic. And then, by God's grace, he brought my beautiful, wonderful wife, Shannon, in my life and showed me that there's love, that there is family. I met her and my beautiful daughter when she was two years old. It was almost 16 years ago. We've been married for almost 13 years. Each day I try and do the best I can to be a father, to show my family, my kids, what it means to be a true caring person. Through, by chance, I was introduced to Randall Vance Middleworth. What's up, buddy? <laughs> he needed somebody to build an engine for his fabulous car. <laughs> and he asked me to do it. I told him, no. I'm going to teach you to do it. And by that kindness and grace of God in his heart, he brought me to Cody. Cody took me in to help him out when they needed help. And it was never a question of how much time I could put in. It's whether or not if I could put in enough time. Cody and I had a discussion one day about religion and faith. And I told him, you know, I was kind of indifferent to it. You know, my parents were Catholic, but I was never taught anything about religion or faith. From that point on, he made a point to invite me every week to come out to church. And I always found some excuse to not come. You know, whatever it was, there was always that excuse. And he'd say, hey, did you come out to church this weekend? No, I didn't go. Hey, I didn't see you out at church. Oh, I had stuff to do. Between Cody and Henry Peterson, my buddy over there, every day in the shop, they constantly remind you, you don't have to be that angry guy. You don't have to have all that hate. You don't have to be that way. To let love in. To break that heart of stone. To make that heart flesh. To allow God and Jesus into your heart and live with love. Eric taught me that. That baptism was not the church's way of saying you have faith. Baptism was you standing here before everybody and laying it all out and saying, Jesus died for my sins. He died for everybody's sins. That I knew. But I didn't understand the concept of Jesus died for my sins. That night, you know, Eric said, think it over. Go home and pray. Give me a call. Let me know if you want to be baptized on Sunday. In that split second, I knew. If I went home and prayed, which I never prayed up until that point, it wouldn't mean anything if I told him, hey, I went home and prayed. Let's go get baptized. Right then and there, first time I've prayed. First time I've ever prayed in front of anybody. I prayed in front of Eric. I prayed for God to make this heart flush, to give me the strength, to stand up in here in front of everybody. To let you guys know 
I want to change. I want Jesus in my life. He died for my sins, and I don't want it to be in vain. Oops, that cold. You got to hang out there a second. <laughs> there may be during the week a boss employee relationship, but I do not see that here or any week at church or even a lot of times during the week. I see right now brothers in Christ, and I am honored to be able to have you ask me to stand up here and do this for you. Um, and this is a testimony of the power of prayer because you were prayed for many times, whether it was. <laughs> Individually, in our small group, I mean, it was, I feel like I am probably the least capable person, competent person to help bring somebody to Christ. And that goes to show you that the Lord can and will work through any of us because if he can use me to help you in any way, not that it was, I was much help at all. I mean, it, he can do anything. you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? I do. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father God, we, uh, we give you glory. Um, we see visible pictures of your grace at work. We see visible pictures that uh, salvation belongs to you and you alone. And so may you get all the glory and honor and credit. Thank you that you have not only saved, but you have redeemed, you have set free. You've set us free from our past, our old sin nature, and given us new life. New creation has come, and it's in Christ alone that that happens. I pray for these two households, that these lives, that they would be oaks of righteousness. We see it planted. We see it growing. May you be faithful to finish what you've begun generations from now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sun chasers, you can head back to class. Um, as the kids kind of go that way, our First Impressions team is going to be handing out the connection card booklets. Uh, one of the most encouraging things for us to see as a church family right now is to see this, uh, to see people leaning into community with one another. And so we see that happening. If you have not yet connected to a group yet, mark that box and we will uh, be in contact, follow up with you this week. If baptism is the next step for you, a potential one, then uh, talk to Eric because he will be the one that uh, says yes to that. Um, don't talk to John or I. Um, okay? Um, Eric's so nice and so loving. Um, clearly. 
We've seen evidence of that as well. So, um, but in all seriousness, if baptism is the next step, um, any one of us will follow up with you. Um, uh, also, uh, a couple family news things. Uh, congratulations to Kyle and Maggie Massa, who are expecting their second child in March. And so we uh, be praying for them. And then last week we mentioned uh, Ben Martin and Joel Zare, Joel Zare are elder candidates. And so if you missed that announcement, uh, members, you got an email uh, this week, as well as uh, if you missed it, you can listen on YouTube or uh, listen to the podcast. But be praying for us and to be, uh, be engaging in that as a Crosspoint member. If you have a Bible with you, uh, turn to uh, Jonah 3. We're halfway through this short little book in the Bible. Then on the 30th, we begin the book of Philippians that will take us into the Christmas season. There are a lot of themes in the book of Jonah that, that I hope that we're seeing. Jonah foreshadows or points us forward to Jesus. Jonah reveals our own hearts and, uh, and how our own hearts are prone to flee from the Lord sometimes. It, it reveals how our own hearts can be prone to pride or self-centeredness, hatred of others. Jonah encourages us in prayer. One of those that, that we have not yet touched, one theme that we haven't touched is that in the book of Jonah, we see a missionary. We see a missionary on mission. In chapter 1, the Lord calls Jonah to get up and go to Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital city of the Assyrian kingdom who are great enemies of Jonah and the Israelite people. But the Lord has called Jonah to be a missionary to this people, his enemy. And not only that, but to go to the center, the middle, the hub of the capital, the hub of this Assyrian kingdom, enemies of Jonah and his people. And Jonah gets this missionary call from the Lord and runs in the opposite direction. He goes east, Nineveh is west, and he runs not because he's fearful of being a missionary. He runs because he's self-righteous. He was part of God's chosen people, and he didn't want his enemy to experience God's goodness and grace. He wanted his enemy to receive judgment not grace. He starts trying to get away from the Lord's presence and commands sailing away across the Mediterranean Sea. The Lord causes a storm that threatens the ship and its sailors. He gets exposed that Jonah is the reason for the storm. So then the sailors toss Jonah overboard after Jonah asks them to or tells them to. The Lord appoints a great fish to swallow Jonah. The Lord's grace has pursued Jonah brought him back from his sin of rebellion and self-righteousness. In chapter 2 then, we looked at last week, we read of Jonah's prayer that is recorded in the midst of the belly of the fish. Three days and three nights there. Repentance is taking place for Jonah in the belly. God's infinite grace has met Jonah's stubborn pride. And Jonah turns back. Jonah realizes that life without God is meaningless. The idols that we chase after are meaningless and that God is altogether good. The end of verse 9 then in chapter 2, Jonah says, Salvation belongs to the Lord. And then verse 10, Then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Jonah has been given a second chance. He has experienced a resurrection in a sense. Chapter 1 was going down, down, and we see this thread this path of sin and destruction taking him away from the Lord, swallowed up three days, three nights, miraculously kept alive in the belly. Chapter 2, repentance and a heart that goes, what was I doing? Turns back to the Lord, now has been brought back to life. See, missionaries have to understand two realities. One is that salvation belongs to the Lord. 
that the Lord will do the work as we go, as we proclaim the Lord is who saves. Not our eloquence, not our skill, not our ability. The second thing that missionaries understand is that they themselves have been given new life in Christ. They have experienced a new birth in Jesus, just like Andrea, Lonnie, Dave, identified with the resurrection of Christ. We too have identified with that, being brought up out of the water. This is a picture that we have experienced. It's a picture of what has happened here to Jonah. Keep in mind, he's been spit out onto dry land, not spit out into the water to keep swimming and treading water. He's been spit out onto a place of assurance, rest, security on dry land. And he hasn't experienced that when he was trusting in himself. His identity and calling as a missionary hasn't changed. We'll see that in chapter 3. If you're a Christ follower, you are a missionary. Missionaries are not just those who raise funds, get sent out by churches, and go live cross-culturally. If you claim that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you are a missionary. Today, we baptized three missionaries. So missionaries are not something we grow up into like, well, when I become more mature in the faith or three years from now or 10 years from now, when, I, when I'm able to answer these questions, then I'll be a missionary. No, we, they're missionaries now. They were missionaries when they gave their life to Christ. What we see in the Gospels is, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Not come follow me and in 10 years from now you'll become fishers of men. Follow and fish immediately at conversion. Missionaries from the beginning. So if you're a student, you've been sent. Missionaries mean, mission being uh, that you've a sent one. Just as the Son of God was sent in, by the Father into the world, we as missionaries, Christ-like missionaries, have been sent. So students, you've been sent into your schools. If you're a parent, maybe you will be a parent someday, you've been sent to be a missionary to that next generation that follows you. If you go to a workplace, you've been sent into that workplace. You've been sent into a neighborhood, a community, a team, an organization. And missionaries understand that salvation belongs to the Lord. And they themselves have experienced and are experiencing the salvation, that new life in the Lord. And as a result, they want others to experience that. Missionaries understand that the Lord is at work in and through them. In Jonah, in Jonah 3, we see the Lord at work in and through the prophet Jonah. It's easy when we talk about church planting and and the work that the Lord is going to be doing over this next year, and the Lord setting apart Eric and Bree and their family for that work, and the Lord's going to set apart others to join them in that work. It's easy to say, yeah, we should pray for them. The Lord is at work there, and, and miss that He is also at work, not only in and through them, but in and through this church family and the other churches that are partnering for this work. My prayer is that we might be a people who would say, Lord, work in me and also work through me. Teach, shape, transform my own heart and life. Don't let me skip over that I am being sanctified and growing in Christ-likeness. But also, Lord, help me not to stop there. Help me also see that I, as your son or daughter, a member of God's family, am also a person who you desire to use in your kingdom. Someone who you want to work through. Someone who, just like your early disciples, not only follows, but fishes. In and through. Not one or the other, but both. And so I want us to see the Lord's work 
today. I want us to encourage our hearts as missionaries. If you're alive and you witness those testimonies, your heart has been encouraged as a missionary. I pray the Word of God just continues to embolden that in us today as we look at it. So verse 1, the Word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. Jonah got up, went to Nineveh, and according to the Lord's commands, according to the Lord's command, now Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. Same message, completely different response this time. First time it is, great, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go the other way. This time, he gets up and follows. What has changed? Well, the city of Nineveh hasn't changed. The people he preached to, he will preach to, hasn't changed. They are as far from the Lord as they were before. They still have the same history of being evil to the Israelites. They're still bitter enemies of the Israelites. On paper, this is still as irrational a missionary endeavor as it was the first time. Lone Israelite prophet, go into the capital city of the enemy that is a massive city. Go ahead and go. That is still as irrational on paper as it was the first time. The Lord hasn't changed either. He's still calling Jonah to preach. The Lord is still at work redeeming, rescuing people. So what has changed between chapter 1 and 3? It's Jonah's heart. Now, we will see in chapter 4, Jonah still has some heart issues, which reminds us that the Lord is continually at work in us. We don't graduate from that lifelong process of growing in Christ's likeness. But the reason Jonah's response has changed is not the Lord's command hasn't changed. Nineveh didn't send a messenger out to Jonah saying, hey, no, we're cool. Come on in. We're going to welcome this with open arms. That hasn't changed. What has changed is Jonah's heart. Jonah repented in the belly. But we see something here in chapter 3 about what repentance is. See, repentance leads to a change of direction, a change of action, a changed life. Too often in Christianity, we have assumed that we can just kind of get Jesus and then still keep our regular life. So, like, we can just add him in as this component to our life while we continue to do life our own ways, our own self-centered, selfish ways. And we miss that when Christ comes in as Lord and Savior, he fundamentally and completely should change our attitudes, our minds, our hearts, like Dave talked about, a heart of flesh and a heart of stone are not compatible. They're, they're completely different, and they lead to a completely different life. Repentance in the belly isn't going to lead to perfection on land. We'll see that next week. But it will lead to change and growth in Jonah. A godly repentance not only leads to this inward change, but an outward one. Missionaries understand that salvation belongs to the Lord, and they themselves have and are experiencing that salvation. They're walking in a new life, a new birth the Lord has done for them. The more you and I as Christ followers understand and grow in our knowledge of the grace that we have received personally, the more we will be compelled to get up and go. The more we will be compelled by love to do so. So the more deeply aware that we are that life apart from the Lord, from the Lord is meaningless, that idols return empty every single time, and that our God is altogether good, and that salvation is a gift through faith and by grace and not by works, 
the more we come to know that and grow in that, the more we will be burdened that others need to experience that as well. You got someone in your life right now that you want to experience? Like you see them chasing after maybe an idol and you're like, man, that goes nowhere good. And you have a burden for them. Some of you here are not Christ followers yet. You may believe that there's a God, but you have yet to surrender your life to Him and trust in Him. And you kind of look at Christians and you go, Christians are always wanting wanting me to become a Christian. They're like unrelenting in this. Yes, yes, we are, unashamedly. We feel compelled by love to tell you about Christ, to persuade you. That's the verb that that Paul would talk about in 2 Corinthians 5, to persuade you to give your life to Him. Now, we understand, though, that salvation belongs to the Lord. So we're not going to jam it down your throat because then it no longer becomes good news. Salvation belongs to Him, not to us. But if you're here and you've got somebody talking to you about faith, Jesus, the gospel, life, you know what? That person deeply loves you, deeply loves you. They love you enough to call you to repent and believe, to walk on the narrow road that leads to life and get off this wide road that leads to destruction. You're not here by accident. See, our God is a supernatural God and who has divinely appointed you to be here today, to be a witness of testimonies of changed lives and to hear from the living Word of God and to be surrounded by people who love you and who have been praying for you. See, the Lord calls Jonah, get up, go, and Jonah got up and went. Now, Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk, it says. Now, scholars disagree. Does that three-day walk straight across, three-day walk around the city? Either way, Nineveh is massive. They say the circumference was 60 miles around. The walls of the city are probably 100 feet high. The walls themselves are three chariots wide. The towers, there's hundreds of towers around this border of this town, and the towers stretch up another 100 feet. So 20-story towers, 10-story walls all around this city, imposing, daunting, formidable, overwhelming. That These would be the thoughts that go through Jonah as he moves into this city and toward its people. But missionaries understand that salvation belongs to the Lord. And no one or nothing is greater than he is. Nothing is beyond him. So our willingness to go and proclaim is not based upon walls or towers that we see. You got someone in your life who is not a believer and you think about sharing the good news with them and you're thinking that seems imposing, formidable, maybe even a bit overwhelming, daunting. Guess what? If you got that, If you have that person in your life, that means you probably love Jesus and you're breathing, okay? There's someone in your life like that. Guess what? The Lord is wanting to to work in you, not just through you. He is as much at work in you as He wants to work through you. He is wanting you to believe, actually believe. Romans 1, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of all who would believe. He wants you to believe that no one is beyond the saving and redeeming power of the good news. He wants you to see that you were saved by grace as well. And that grace is the same transforming grace that will save them. He wants you to walk by faith and not by the walls or the sights that you see in front of you. He wants you to get up and go 
because the Son of God with all authority in heaven and on earth has called you to get up and go make disciples. And guess what? He's promised that He will be with you to the very end of the age. His presence and His power will not depart from you as you walk by faith. In and through. We, we never graduate from one or the other. The Lord's grace toward Jonah is all over this book. The storm in chapter 1. Grace that was exposing sin. The fish in chapter 2. Grace that was saving and sanctifying. The seemingly impossible task to go into Nineveh. In chapter 3. Grace that now moves Jonah to a place where he can't trust in himself. He has to trust in the Lord for this. Verse 4. Jonah sent, set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. In the Hebrew, it is five words long. Depending on your English translations, it's seven or eight words long. I couldn't finish my greeting this morning, my welcome to you in seven or eight words. Now, when we see Jonah's attitude in chapter 4, some might argue that that's a reflection of his heart, this reluctant attitude. It's tough to know. Here's what we do know. Jonah has walked into the city of Nineveh. People who are his enemies are all around. People who would claim they worship God. See, Nineveh is a religious city, but it's a worship of idols versus the one true God, the God that Jonah worships. It's a city that calls right, wrong, and wrong, right. And into the middle of the scene, he says, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. Verse 5 then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. What? I mean, I have preached some terrible messages before. Now, you won't tell me that because you're nice people, but I will tell myself that. And yet, he preaches five words in Hebrew. What made them believe? Was it Jonah's outstanding presentation? Probably not. I don't think anyone would call that a full communication of the gospel or the good news. There's no call to repent. There's no mention of who's actually going to demolish the city. There's no mention if, if Jonah is a prophet of the Lord, he doesn't even mention the Lord's name. And his job is to reflect or represent the Lord to people. No talk of hope. No talk that God will relent if people repent. So what made them believe? Salvation belongs to the Lord. The Spirit of God was at work in Jonah and through Jonah. God has sovereignly appointed this moment to occur. Verse 6, when word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth, and sat in ashes. So just as with Jonah, inward repentance is leading to outward change. Saving faith in God is, leads to a, a change of action. It's never just, sure, I believe in God and nothing actually changes. The book of James says even demons believe. So merely affirming that there is a God, a deity in this world doesn't bring salvation. Does your belief in God lead to action? Does it lead to change? Does it lead to you aligning your life with the Lord and His commands and His word? I pray it does. Because if you say you believe in the Lord, but nothing, there's no actually like visible evidence of that then the Lord hasn't saved and changed your heart. Look at how belief leads to change in the king. Keep in mind who the king is. 
Assyria is this nation. It's one of the greatest, most powerful nations on the planet at the time. And the king, with all his authority and power, gets up from his throne, takes off his royal robe, both of which are visible pictures that his trust is moving away from his throne, his royalty. He puts on sackcloth, sits in ashes, both of, both of which reflect this heart that is grieved over sin. He's not aware, he's, he's now aware of how holy God is and how unholy he and his people are. Like he's, his sin has been exposed, the sin of his people have been exposed. Up until now, he is boasting in his might, his strength, his wealth, his position. Now he has laid all that aside and he's humbling himself. And he wants everyone in the city to repent as well. Even the animals will find out. George the cow screwed up somehow. And the king wants to cover all the bases here because he doesn't want the city to be demolished. A citywide revival is taking place because the Lord appointed a prophet to preach a five-word message. And the Lord will use those words to bring about His glory and work. Verse 7, Then He issued a decree in Nineveh by order of the king and his, and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. Belief in God leads to turning from evil ways, wrongdoing. Verse 10, God saw their actions. That they, have turned, that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster He had threatened with them, and He did not do it. Because our God does not delight in judgment. Our God desires to show compassion and mercy. If He didn't, He doesn't send Jonah to the city. He lets Jonah sail off to the coast of Spain if He doesn't actually care about people. But the Lord desired to work in Jonah and through Jonah. Our God is holy and just. Apart from saving faith, the result of our sin is death. Our God is also a God who wants people to repent, to turn around, to believe, so that they, they might be met with amazing grace, so they might escape judgment and be welcomed into a family. For some of us, maybe a lot of us, we feel like we've blown it more as a missionary than we've gotten it right. Like you leave that conversation, 10, min 10 minutes later you're thinking, oh, I should have asked this question, I should have prayed for them, I should have asked about this, I should have listened better. Maybe even you're listening to this message and someone has come into your mind, maybe it's the person you're married to, a prodigal child, some extended family member, a boss, coworker, teammate, friend, and you're thinking, I've missed so many opportunities with them. I've been so fearful before. I've been so reluctant. I can identify with Jonah's reluctancy here. Be encouraged, Crosspoint missionaries. In chapter 1, Jonah missed the opportunity to get up and go. and He, he didn't miss it because he's like, oh, I, I missed that. No, he willingly rebelled. Okay, But in chapter 3, the Lord brings the word back to him and he calls him as an evangelist this time and he gets up and goes. The Lord has brought about a second chance for Jonah. And for you and me, he has done the same thing. 
His mercies are new every morning. And while we still have breath, the Lord has providentially placed us into families and friend circles, into schools and workplaces, neighborhoods and communities, a nation, to be a missionary for Him. And as missionaries, we are aware that salvation belongs to the Lord and that we ourselves have and are experiencing that salvation as well. We don't uh, disengage from that. We don't separate ourselves from that. We, as, as uh, one theologian talks about, as poor beggars, we're just helping others know, other beggars know where to find bread. We have been saved by grace, and we want others to experience that same grace. The worship team could come back up. As we move into uh, year 16 of ministry and mission, I pray our posture as a church would be a people who would get up and go. We don't have to wait on a feeling for that one. We don't have to wait on a word from the Lord for that one. He's given us. Genesis 12, Genesis 12 Matthew 28, Acts 1, 2 Corinthians 5. It's all throughout Scripture. The word of the Lord calling us to get up and go and be disciple makers and be witnesses and be ambassadors with the people that are around us. Father God, we pray that as we move into this next year of ministry, that we would be a people who would get up and go, that we would be a people who you would work in and through, that we wouldn't miss or avoid either one of those or dodge either one of those. I thank you that you're faithful to be, uh, finish what you have begun, that you are a faithful God who is at work sanctifying us, growing us in Christ-likeness, deepening our knowledge of who you are and the grace that we've experienced in your, in your surpassing love. I pray that you're also, I'm grateful that you're also a God who has called us and commanded us to go. We confess that sometimes we are reluctant, sometimes we are self-righteous, sometimes we are apathetic, sometimes we are indifferent. We confess those sins before you and say, make us more like your son. Help us to be missionaries who are compelled by nothing else but the love of Christ. And we pray in faith that in the next coming year, and years, that many would come to know you, both in the spheres, the families, the, the, the circles of life that we are in, as well as new areas, including the Monunk area. We pray that people would come to know you, and they would help others come to know you as well. We pray for a disciple-making movement to occur, because it belongs to you. Salvation belongs to you, and it's for your glory and for your honor. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand up and worship. Before we leave uh, this morning, there's a verse that has been going through my head. It goes along with what Dave was saying about being missionaries. It says, be doers of the word, not just hearers, only deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and he's not a doer, he's like a man who looks in the mirror intently. And when he walks away, he forgets what he looks like. So let's be encouraged as we walk out these doors is to be the missionaries he's, that he's called us to be and be doers, right? We can all sit here and be hearers of the word and then we leave this place and, and nothing has changed in us, but let's be doers.
So, Father, we just thank you for the message that was given today. As we are reminded that even Jonah was given a second chance to, um, to accomplish the task that you had given him, Lord. We pray that as each one of us leave this room, that we are uh, uh, taking up that, um, that same encouragement, Lord, to uh, be doers of the word that we have before us, Lord. And we thank you for this time of, of um, refreshing. We thank you for um, our lives being changed by watching lives come out of this water change, Lord. And we are so grateful that you are still extending grace um, and mercy, Lord, to, um, to this world around us, Lord. I just pray that as missionaries we can um, uh, be a, a vessel to fill this stage full of people giving their lives to you. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your, your grace and your tender mercies, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed, and have a great week.